This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Steelers rookie minicamp was over the weekend. Rookie minicamps across the league getting underway as coaches become familiar with their draft picks from the 2021 draft class or undrafted free agents or guys that they're just giving a look at as either common courtesy or just needing to fill out a rookie minicamp roster. Things are underway. Shorts are being worn on grass fields with helmets on players' heads. Football is happening, and it gets you excited for the season ahead, and it gets you excited for the new blood in the NFL, and there's a lot of headline-making new players in this draft class, and it really starts, as always, with the quarterback class, but it seems like this year more than recent years this class is being hyped up pretty incredibly uh obviously you have a potential chosen one in trevor lawrence at the very top of it and you know when you're kind of looking at guys that are going to make a real big stamp on this season establish themselves as stars in the nfl be an offensive rookie of the year it's kind of hard to overlook trevor lawrence and honestly whenever i try to make the case for another player being offensive rookie of the year in the NFL or on the AFC side of things or a guy that could be more impactful than he will be on his new team. It's just, just feels like down. reaching. It yeah. kind of just feels like you're always reaching. You're always trying to stretch a little mm-hmm. too far to make the case for something that is just so obvious and that this guy could come in and I don't want to say we're going to see Andrew Luck 2.0 where the Jags are going to go 11-5 and five or 10-6 and mm-hmm. six or whatever Andrew Luck was able to carry that Colts team to his rookie year, but I would not be surprised to see a Jags team go like six and eleven, seven and ten, and be That's incredibly so real tough to yeah. to play against. Take out some teams that they probably shouldn't be able to take out. Pull some big upsets and be a team on the rise. Because, I mean, my gosh, this guy just has all of the tools that you're looking for. Uh, prototypical NFL quarterback for today's age and for pr- past ages. He can move. He's tough to take down in the pocket, but he's got a rocket front arm. He's incredibly accurate. He's like Jesus kind of on a football field, and he kind of looks the part, too, with the long that's a that's a That's a heavy comparison you're making. It's, it's, it's unreal. The stuff that he did at Clemson that really stood out to me was not in this past year's playoff, but the year prior against Ohio State Right when he just – turned on the Jets and outran safeties that we're going to be playing in the NFL next year for Ohio State. Right. It just really illustrated that it's not just his arm talent. He's an incredible athlete as well. So, you know, you start at the top. Trevor Lawrence uh, could be a game changer as far as the NFL is concerned, uh, as far as the face of the quarterback position is concerned. A lot uh, to catch there with Patrick Mahomes, but, you know, I think that's a goal that he wants to pursue. And, Hopefully in Jacksonville's sake, you know, finally someone that they can stamp their face on as a franchise quarterback. And hopefully he can carry that franchise towards, you know, more sellout crowds because, of course, they're one of the teams in the NFL that struggles to sell tickets. One of the very few. Yeah. And it's not entirely their fault. I mean, they had a great team. I think when they had that good team three years ago, they've had a great, they've had good teams. They've been to the AFC championship game three times prior in their history, including their second year in existence, but they've never had the franchise. You know, it's also tough. A lot of Florida franchises across all sports have that problem where they, they, they have these good teams, specifically the one that comes to mind where at least the two that come to mind are the two in Tampa, the Rays and the Lightning. They have 
these great teams. But it's Florida, baby. It's I mean, these Florida fans. I mean, it's just weird, you know. And it's because there's I want to go to the game. Or there's go to the not beach. a ton of locals too. It's a lot of just visitors that you see in the stands too. Just people who are down there to kind of escape the winter. And they say, why not go to a Lightning game? Why not go to to a Buccaneers game or or Florida Panthers game? Regardless, I mean, it's just tough. You feel for those Florida franchises because sometimes they build great teams. I mean, the Rays got to the World Series. They got to Game Seven. And the Lightning got to all the way to the Stanley Cup final, and they won the the damn thing. But I mean, I'm sure some they have devoted fans. But yeah, I mean, you you made a good point. They they don't have just this huge following. But I don't think it's going to matter. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is is I'm sure will feed off of the fans that are there, and he's going to help bring in more people to watch those games. I mean. You all you have to do is think back to three years ago. I mean, those fans were ready to die for that defense for Calais Campbell and Jalen Ramsey. It, it was a stacked defense. It was a, it was a good team, and and the fans came out for it. But it, once the tide kind of ebbs, so do the fans. But I think Trevor Lawrence is going to help that. Not to get too far off on a Jacksonville tangent, but it's no, inter- it's interesting sorry. here. Just the pairing of Trevor Lawrence with an inexperienced first-time NFL head coach in Urban Meyer. And, you know, it's just kind of an odd thing where he's so inexperienced first-year head coach, but also his name carries maybe more weight than any coach in the NFL other than Bill Belichick, to be Mm -hmm. quite honest. I mean, no offense to the Pete Carrolls, Mike Tomlins, and Sean Paytons in the world. I think just the average person, not sports fan, would recognize Urban Meyer before right. them. Um, the king of college football before Nick Saban really took that of course, over yeah. from him. So, I mean, he's in, in a new in arena of- now, and it's interesting that you hand the keys over to a guy. Maybe you'd rather have, you know, more experience at the NFL p- job. Maybe a guy, you know, you're sitting there, you're trying to figure out, you're the GM, the owner, what's the head coach for Trevor Lawrence? Okay, is there a guy out there that we think was a really good coach for a team and just never really had that quarterback, you know, that Lamborghini that he could drive. And that's kind of why he kind of got pushed out of town. It's just the team played for him. He was able to get the defense to play hard. You know, the guys loved him in the locker room. They just never really had that guy. Who's that person out there that we can hand this key over to and say, hey, now try it with this piece. Instead, they go and they take kind of a risk there with Urban Meyer. And it's just interesting as they try to usher in their new franchise quarterback to and, start with such a big risk. And besides the draft, his biggest move as a coach was Tim Tebow. Was of Tim course. Tebow, which is the biggest head scratcher so far this this entire offseason. I mean, regardless of reaches in the draft, everyone's scratching their head at this move. I'll tell you one way that I think Lawrence could lose Offensive Rookie of the Year, um, and that is. He can outperform Zach Wilson numbers-wise, but if somehow the Jets have a better record than the Jaguars or if the Jets kind of make fringe playoff noise with Zach Wilson, uh, even if the numbers aren't Trevor Lawrence good, but they're just decent enough, they'll give it to Zach Wilson. That New York Jet kind of vibe, give it to the New York guy, uh, and they'll kind of go by record there. So I think if Zach Wilson can step in and backpack the Jets to a really good season – numbers won't really matter they'll just hand it to him good news for trevor lawrence is i don't think zach wilson's gonna have too fun of a go of it no, in either. new york he's got a nice new offensive lineman in elijah vera tucker to help protect him but other than that i see a lot of the same problems that plagued 
Sam Darnold kind of coming yeah. after Zach Wilson, at least early on in his career. Right. I guess the only thing that would be working towards his favor is I think you and I both think high, more highly of Robert Sala as the head coach as opposed that to what do. Adam Gase was doing with Sam Darnold. So, I mean, Robert he, Sala led led the charge of one of the better defenses in that's recent defense, memory. So. Yeah, I mean, exactly. But now he has a quarterback like Zach Wilson who, when we were talking about pre-draft projections – you know, we were talking about would you rather have Trey Lance or Zach Wilson or Jimmy Garoppolo, and none of us were saying Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh no, of course not. Uh, but that's that's the guy that was leading the other side of the football, opposite of Robert Sala's defense. You bring up Trey Lance. I think I, that's I brought up Trey Lance, but I mean, you're talking about Zach Wilson winning, winning Rookie of the Year over Offensive Rookie of the Year. I mean. What about Justin Fields, too? Well, I'll go get, get okay, there. Okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. I was just going to quickly say to Trey Lance, that's probably the one that is going to sit the most out of his rookie season. I think that's the guy that, although we don't think that highly of Jimmy Garoppolo, he has the one quarterback on the depth chart in front of him that you could make the reasonable case for is more ready, should be the starter this year instead of, excuse me, Trey Lance. But... Other than that, I think all the other rookies really have a good shot at becoming the team's starter. And, yeah, like you brought up, Justin Fields from Chicago. Uh, again, kind of that same situation where more of a marquee franchise than Jacksonville, bigger city than Jacksonville, mm -hmm. media, when they hand out awards, you know, lean towards those kind of guys more. If he can the put together guys, yeah. a successful campaign, despite the stats maybe not being as good, he could definitely snag that award away. Uh, I think he lands in a very favorable situation as well. Of course, being pick number 11 overall, but you have to remember that the Bears traded up from number 20 to get to that pick. Bears were a playoff team last year with Mitchell Trubisky at the helm. So if Justin Fields can step in and not have too tough of a transition into playing quarterback in the NFL, then yeah, Jacob, I think he probably landed in the best situation team-wise Trey Lance, of course, that Niners yeah, team's tricky. They have good. a real good team around him, but he's just so not NFL-ready, whereas what, I think Justin Ve Fields could start week one. Didn't Vegas – well, I'll get to that after I say this. Didn't Vegas say San Francisco was the favorite to yeah. win the NFC West? Yeah, I don't weird. see that happening. I don't see that at all. But you're saying Justin Fields could be the start of week one. I brought this up in a previous episode. I don't know if I believe that because the Bears have the Rams and Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey – and all the other pieces that they have there in L.A. week one. I don't know if you want to say it's the best thing. Yeah, but what if he Justin starts Fields. that game and beats that team? Then it's all of a sudden. Then, it, like, then it's Whoa. just Justin Fields has arrived. That That's what's going to happen. Everyone's going to do their overreactions and he's, say. He's rookie of the year after week one, right, if that's the case. Right. Even if he throws four interceptions, but the Bears defense squeaks out a win. doesn't matter. And that's kind of my he point. Wins, is right. like you're so – when you're in a city market like New York for the Jets, a franchise starved forever. When you're in a market like Chicago that, mm -hmm. you know, they've only won one Super Bowl, but mm -hmm. somehow have established themselves as one of the marquee in the NFL. I'd like for that to be – in a future episode, we might have to bring that up for review because, okay. I mean, come on, one championship and you're going right. to put yourself in the marquee with the, the likes of us, the Steelers, and now the Patriots and the, the Packers and, you know, all these teams, the Giants who have won so many times. Get out of here, Chicago. You it know what that feels fraudulent. But still, that name, Chicago Bears, carries a lot of cachet around in NFL circles. It's a nationally and internationally recognized brand when it comes to football. So, you know, those guys are always going to get a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt, even if their performance is a little bit lacking. 
compared to a Trevor Lawrence. But then again, Trevor Lawrence is the chosen one, so people are he's the darling for everybody. We don't have to spend too much time on this, but do you know what that hypothetical week one win by Justin Fields over the Rams kind of reminds me of? In terms of people were saying, okay, you have to give it to him for rookie of the year. Robert Griffin III, his rookie year, week one, went into New Orleans, into the Superdome with, I like, Jonathan Vilma still on the team. This was— That was the play where he was sitting on his butt in the end zone, That's where right? he threw, like, the 70-yard touchdown but, like, fell down. And you just—the the lasting image is just him with his hands up in the touchdown formation call because it was just an all-out blitz. I don't know if this came after def- uh, uh, Bounty Gate, but it was definitely—there were a lot of— teammates still there like Darren Sharper and like I said Jonathan Vilma were still there and after that game I mean this is this the, this is the Saints team that won the Super Bowl two years ago three years ago and they're still a, a top a top team in the NFL and Robert Griffin the rookie it's Robert Griffin and it's Andrew Luck who's gonna win it and Robert Griffin goes into into New Orleans and wins that game that kind of reminds me of this possible Justin Fields beating a Rams defense and kind of people saying, well, you got to give it to him. Now, That's impressive. The last quarterback that we hadn't talked about, and obviously the quarterbacks are going to be the favorites to be the most impactful rookies, the ones to win the awards, come home with some silverware. But Mac Jones from Alabama heading into New England, you know, everybody's kind of anointing him the next Brady, the, the heir apparent to Brady even though, uh, I mean, it's absurd when you really know how Brady was picked in the sixth round. It was completely an afterthought by all the teams in the NFL, including the Patriots, five rounds prior to them finally picking him in the sixth round. And Mac Jones is a top 15 pick in the NFL draft. So the pedigree Al already out of the gate is completely different between those two. But, you know, you see the same pudgy-looking kid that you saw in the famous Tom Brady. Tra- it's obvious that the comparisons are going to get made. Tom Brady goes to Michigan, a powerhouse in football, especially kind of not back when he was there, and kind of they faded a lot lately. But, right. you know, but they they still, national, they're kind of like won, the Bears. I think they won a national championship, if not like a couple of bowl games. While he I was think there. they were bowl games, but I don't think yeah. Maddie's. Uh, but they're like the Bears. You know, they still have that cachet with their name, Michigan Wolverine football. Uh, this guy coming from Alabama, the obvious uh, powerhouse in college right now, either them or Clemson being the top two dogs. But, you know, Nick Saban guy coming into a Bill Belichick system now. Uh, I know Bill Belichick is pretty high on Cam Newton, seems to really be giving him a lot of vote of confidence heading into uh, the next season. He will be the starter, but... I don't think he is going to wait around too long to make that switch if he sees what he likes out of Mac Jones. Uh, I think he's got a team around Mac Jones that you can compete with if that rookie is ready to step in right away and take over as the starting quarterback. It could be a great situation for Jones, Mm -hmm. but this could also end up being like an Andy Dalton in my mind where it's just going to be a talented guy. I mean, Andy Dalton had some good years. In a perfect storm of a situation – where he's going to have some pretty decent years, win a division, get you to the playoffs a couple times. But I, I know Andy Dalton was always snake bitten and couldn't get healthy enough to play in the playoffs or mm. win that playoff game. Maybe he'll win you a playoff game or two, but I think that Belichick might find himself in some quarterback purgatory here where you just have an average guy. You know, that, that can really put you in a rock and a hard place because you can't move on from him because, you know, right. those are hard to find. Top 15 quarterbacks are hard to find. 
But if you don't really have that elite guy and he's just going to stay around 15, 14 range in the NFL, how much can you really win with him unless you have the absolute perfect team surrounding him? So Yeah, and I don't know if he has that team surrounding him. He doesn't. Him because at least Andy Dalton had A.J. Green. I don't know. Can you name a receiver they on the Patriots? They don't draft the receivers well. I hope, or I think the hope with Belichick is that he's going to fall in love with throwing to tight ends. Right, and he's got two of them. Real good ones, too, so... I think that's the hope for him. And, you know, tight ends can be an easy target for a young quarterback while he's breaking into the NFL. Yeah, they're, but not, of course going too, he's not, they're not going too deep down the field. Yeah. And we mentioned in our earlier episode talking more about Steelers rookies, and you can check that out at Steelers.com. You know, there's a lot of stress on Steelers rookies coming in and having to be the guy. Uh, I would say, other than Trey Lance, maybe, in San Francisco, this is the least stressful spot because – you come in and you know you're number two. Right. You're and you might expected. even be number three behind Stidham when you come in, but that's a guy that you can realistically that. sit. I, th- I would say start training camp, you're number three, but you're sitting in your dorm or wherever the Patriots have training camp if they give them it's hotel hard rooms. For, it's, it's hard for me to sit here and think Trey Lance, number three overall pick, is the third guy not on Lance, the dead Not Trey Lance. Not Trey Lance. I'm talking about Jones. Oh, you're talking behind about sorry, Stidham. Sorry, sorry, because Stidham yeah, is yeah. decent and has sorry. some pedigree, too. Sorry. 15, but I top feel like big, yeah, Mac right. Jones is sitting there thinking, okay, realistically, this training camp, I beat Stidham out. I'm the number two guy. And I go into tra- – there's a lot less regardless, stress Regardless. I know him. my mind was on Trey Lance, but regardless, you're a That's top the same thing with pick. Trey Lance, too. Right. Is that he can go into this situation with a stress-free environment in his first year, knowing that he's not the number one guy. At the best, he's going to be the number two guy. And maybe if you just keep practicing well throughout the year and the other guy stinks, you can take that number one spot. So Yeah, how do you think Cam Newton, like looking at it from the other side, how do you think Cam Newton and, and Jimmy Garoppolo feel? Uh, Cam Newton, I think, is maybe a little peeved, but yeah. I also kind of think Cam Newton can kind of step back and recognize where he's at in his career. And also, I think he's a pretty damn good competitor, so I don't think he's the guy that pouts about it. I think he's the guy that gets to work about it. Uh, Jimmy G, I just feel like he's got to know. He's got to know, and he's also, if he could be honest with himself, I wonder if he'd look himself in the mirror and be like, media and just you know being Brady's backup kind of blew my talent a little bit out of proportion, mm-hmm. just a little bit. And I'm not saying he's bad. He got to a Super he, Bowl. Yeah, he, got he, to led, a Super he led the Bowl, team I mean. to the Super Bowl, right? But it's just I don't know if he was ever gonna be like top ten, and just because he was able to fill in for Brady and win a couple games and look good doing so in New England, he got that label. It was a great team around him in New England with such a stable coaching force, and they were a powerhouse dynasty that stepping in for an injured Brady is a lot different than actually leading your own team. But again, he did that successfully as well. I just think that maybe his time is up. But other than quarterbacks, as far as offensive Mm -hmm. players are concerned, unfortunately, you're not going to win awards if you're an offensive lineman, but... I think that Penny Sewell is going to be an absolute stud for the Lions. Yeah. I think that Slater for the Chargers was a great pick out of Northwestern. I think of all the NFL teams who are happy with their first over with their first round pick, the Chargers may be the most enthused. They could be. Um, Jets trading up for Vera Tucker is a good one. You know, anytime a tackle goes early, it seems like it's a solid pick. It seems like you can really d- establish or you judge can really determine, talent. judge yeah. their talent. Um, I dare saw falling to the Vikings at 23rd was great. Alex Leatherwood, obviously, being the one that said that. Honestly, like, do, you think, do you think it's a, well, that's just the typical John Gruden being so detached from reality and everyone else's judgment of, of talent. But do you think it's a possible blessing in disguise that um, oh, I'm just playing on the guy that went to no 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 the guy that went to the Vikings 
That was Darisaw. That was Darisaw, Christian yeah. Darisaw. Is it a blessing in disguise that Darisaw went to Minnesota? He so wasn't the Steelers there. didn't have to make that choice. Right. Probably is. I mean, does it, I mean, we don't know. Like, do you think they just they just say it doesn't matter? We're going with Najee here instead. Najee, no matter what, just like Kevin Costner in Draft Day, Vontae Mack, no matter what. Yeah. See, I still haven't seen that movie. You keep referencing it. <laughs> I like Kyle Pitts out of all the other position groups, though, uh, not quarterback. I've said that a lot before. He was the highest selected tight end basically in NFL history. I think you have to go all the way back to the 60s yeah, pre-merger, pre-Super Bowl there. era to get a tight end drafted higher. But this might be the one that you take a, a chance on. And, you know, such a deep, great wide receiver class at the top, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, three guys, three guys deep that really – project to be game breakers number one players in the nfl at wide receiver and a tight end end up going before all of them i mean right. that just shows you how dynamic this kind of guy can be it also shows you how players like kelsey and kittle have transformed that position right. into it's not just the heath miller big time third and five conversions over the middle just taking little taking hook, your lumps yeah. just crushing it this guy can be your biggest weapon on offense as the niners have with george kittle and the only reason Kelsey's not for Kansas City is because of that freak Tyree kill that they have. But even still, Tyreek or Travis Kelsey is one B as far as options are concerned for that offense. And that's what Kyle Pitts projects to be. And I, I think that you'll see big seasons out of Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Smith. But I think if anybody's gonna push a quarterback and just put up gaudy numbers, it's gonna be Kyle Pitts because he's stepping into an offense mm -hmm. where he will not be the focal point uh Jamar Chase is going to be the number one receiver uh, eventually in Cincinnati if he can finally reach his potential. Obviously, he'll have pressure taken off of him from Tyler Boyd uh, and T. Higgins, good receivers there. But the problem is Joe Burrow staying upright and getting him the ball is a problem. Jalen Waddell, uh, Devontae Parker in Miami can still be that number one, but they're going to want you to step up and by the end of this year probably be that number one target for Tua down there. And the Eagles... I mean, they've been looking for a number one receiver forever. For so Devontae Smith kind of comes in and he they, is that guy. They've been looking for a number one, two, three, and four receiver for a while. But Kyle Pitts can be at a position that can create mismatches in its own right. And also there's so many other elite targets around him. I think he has an opportunity to, if Matt Ryan can stay healthy, put up some impressive numbers for that Falcons offense. I don't know if I'm alone on this hill, Tom, but I see like – you can make the case, you can make the argument for all four of those names, the three the three wide receivers and the one tight end, about maybe not having the best rookie year. Joe Burrow in Cincinnati doesn't have the protection necessary to get the ball to Jamar Chase. Kyle Pitts in Atlanta, he's got Calvin Ridley, and he's got Julio Jones also catching the ball. So you ball. got the other way. They might take too much away from him. Exactly. Like, I mean— like it's he could be, he, he could be used as a decoy. It's a real good problem right? to have in Atlanta. If they of can course. just have average defensive play, they could be a dangerous team. Of course. And then you look at, I think there's a very similar situation. The last two with Miami and with Philly, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. You have Tua Tagovailoa and you have Jalen Hurts throwing the ball. We don't really know how well they can do that. Well, I mean, we saw flashes. We saw decent play out of both of them and Tua. We saw a little bit better because Jalen Hurts started much fewer games, and what we saw out of him wasn't the most promising play, but because Philly's season last year was just so bad overall, when he came in, it wasn't as bad, and I think that's why people were a little high on him. 
But even with Tua, I mean, they weren't totally sold on Tua. They were more comfortable going with Ryan Fitzpatrick in certain situations. Miami was last year. So it's it's possible that all four of the re- these receiving targets who were taken within the first 10 picks of the draft could not have the most promising rookie season that you would you would want to see out of a top 10 pick. Now, obviously, offense ruled the day in this draft class as it ruled this podcast episode, but there were some defensive players mm-hmm. taken in the first round. The first one, eighth overall, the Panthers taking J.C. Horn, and then the Broncos right after took Patrick Sertan the second. Those were the top two defensive players. Cornerbacks, I'm not picking a corner to win my defensive rookie of the year. I just don't feel like... That happens often. I don't know. Last I could corner, be woefully ill-informed as far as that's concerned. But the last cornerback to win defensive player of the year was just two years ago, though. So but that's a little different, though. You know, that's a tough position to really step in and be incredibly impactful right away in the yeah. NFL. All reaction against some of the best athletes in the world running routes against you. It's couldn't even imagine. But the guy I, I have mean, circled. But maybe maybe that's a sign. Like maybe these guys are that good that they went back. But to I back. have I have. Penn State linebacker Michael, Michael Parsons, Parsons circled as my defensive rookie of the year. A little bit surprising that Dallas took him. I uh, don't, and then obviously not picking up their option with Leighton Vander Esch. You know, I, I kind of liked Leighton Vander Esch, and I thought that they were pretty high on him, but I think clearly they've been disappointed. And Micah Parsons now comes in to play in the middle with him. I, I think Micah's going to have a huge impact. And again, you know, I, I hate to sound like, you know, kind of a crackpot saying, oh, it's all about the media and the big cities, but it matters where you play because oh, yeah. the exposure you get. And if he is making, you know, six, seven tackles a game for those Dallas Cowboys defense right away, some big time tackles for loss and maybe an interception or two in the middle of that defense, you know, he's going to get star power, no pun intended, with the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. He's going to get that status in the NFL very quickly. Yeah, and I'm sure if Kellen were here, he would share the same sentiment, I'm sure he the same opinion. It, yeah. He'd be saying Micah Parsons should be the favorite. And, you know, the, the, the Cowboys have this history of kind of judging the right guy. Like Vander Esch was kind of the same kind of cut from Sean the same Lee. cloth. Yeah, and Sean Lee, too. It was just it was one after the other after the other. It's just unfortunate that both Sean Lee and Vander Esch have been totally, totally bogged down by injuries. Sean Lee so much so that it – Ended his career. It was, what, a a 10-year career or something like that? I mean, this is a guy that when he came out of of college from Penn State, nonetheless, I mean, people were saying he is going to be the best linebacker in football. And there were only a couple of years where he was healthy that he, like, made first-team All-Pro, second-team All-Pro, which is a shame because he really was that talented. Vander Esch came out of what was that? Co- I don't even know the name of his college. He went to Boise State. I was it Boise say. State? He he came from like a high school class of like ten people though. His hometown was incredibly small. He came from basically nowhere. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if he went to Boise State. I think that does sound he right. Went to Boise State. There yes. you go. But I mean, this was another he was guy born that, in Riggins, Idaho. There you go. This was another guy that you that the Cowboys targeted, and people. Riggins, Idaho, has a population of two hundred and fifty-eight people. There you go. So I it was I probably wasn't far off when I said his high school class was two hundred and fifty-eight people were probably in my high school class's graduating right, class. Right, right, like, not just all four years in right. the entire town, city of Riggins. Can you even call it a city? I don't know, like a neighborhood, maybe. But like yeah, a, a cross so small town boy. But like sure. he still came out, and people were saying this is a great pick by the cow. I mean, I was pissed as a Steelers fan at the time be- that he wasn't there for the Steelers. I I thought he was a true 
stealer, you know, tough, tough guy. He was just made to be a stealer, but the Cowboys got him. I was actually really upset, but now that they have Micah Parsons, it, it's real. It's very fitting of Jerry Jones and his ability to want to go out and get these tough linebackers. But I mean, a lot of edge guys too. I mean, you got to think about it. Quiddy Pay is someone that you got to keep your eye on, and I think that's a great addition to the Colts, who already had a great defense last year. And when people talk about the Colts, they're talking mainly about. Carson Wentz, his arrival versus Phillip Rivers' departure. But you bring in a guy like Quiddy Pay, and suddenly you're not just talking about the offense, you're talking about the defense too. I like Quiddy Pay out of Michigan for Indianapolis, but I don't know if you have any other dark horses in that race. No, I mean, I just kind of looking, it, I was just going to kind of wrap up and be like, we'll, we'll pick guys. Obviously, Gregory Rousseau from Miami could do a lot of damage in Buffalo as far as a defensive end is concerned. But, you know, we're going to take all these guys and they're obviously the big names in the top of the draft class. And it's going to end up being some linebacker that Detroit picked in the fourth round that just comes in and blows people out of the water. Or Michael Carter, the running back who went to the Jets in the fourth round. He's going to come it's in not and a just bad dis pick. destroy I mean, things on the ground. We were saying here on the Steelers standard that it wouldn't be the, the worst thing if, you know, the Steelers went back-to-back -back offensive lineman, offensive lineman, or maybe like a, a stud linebacker or a stud cornerback in, in the first or second round paired with a line, another offensive lineman. And in the third round, the Steelers got Michael Carter. I don't hate the Michael Carter pick. I mean, I don't know if you hate the Michael Carter pick. but I was just saying, it's just how it would probably go, where the most obvious ones. I mean, who's to say out. it's not going to be Isaiah Loudermilk? You're exactly right. He's going to have seven sacks on the inside and clearly be the defensive rookie of the year. Uh, let's he's hope gonna, not, because he's gonna if he plays, out, he's going to beat out Stefan Tuitt or Tyson Aluwalo. Yep, that's definitely going to happen. Yeah. No, more likely if he plays, there's a lot of injuries that got in the way, and that yeah. ain't good for the no, Pittsburgh no, Steelers. No, 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 no. That's going to do it for this episode. A lot of rookies to keep an eye on. It's going to be a fun year to watch the rookie class grow, especially headlined by someone like Trevor Lawrence. But... On our next episode of Steelers Standard, you know, we've talked a lot of hierarchy, AFC North. We've talked a lot of AFC teams. We've kind of ignored the other side of the league in the NFC. And I know Steelers wouldn't meet them until the Super Bowl other than the division that they're matched up against in that extra game against Seattle this year. But a lot of changeover happening on that NFC side of things. That hierarchy could be all shaken up uh, from two to seven. Uh, I think one is pretty solid right now mm -hmm. in both of our minds. But Take a look at the NFC side of things on the next episode of Steelers Standard. For Jacob Recht and Tom Opperman, thank you as always for listening. We'll talk to you next time.